Well, hello and welcome to the next episode of the Tips and Tales podcast. I'm your host, Robert Poe. And as always, I'm here with George DaCosta. George, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks again for having me back. I enjoy yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. Well, and since last time we talked, you've had quite a few adventures. So tell us a little bit about, about what you've been up to. Yeah, it's hunting season, right? And, you know, as everyone knows who knows me, I shut down the training and, and, and start the hunting. And I've been to Montana hunting sharptails, had a wonderful time in, in Montana. Actually, my friend Gary and I had a one word, one word description for Montana this year, and that was epic. It was, it was just phenomenal. What was fun about it for me is when I first got there, I had a couple of friends, Toby and Mackenzie, that have one of a CK's pups, Finn. They were already there for a couple of days. And I arrived and my friend, um, Jim, uh, excuse me, my friend Kirk, who has, uh, Vizsla, an old Vizsla and also a CK pup arrived. And another friend of mine, Gary, who has a short hair arrives. When I first got there, I hunted with all of them. And then two days later, uh, Mackenzie and Toby left. And then I hunted with, uh, Kirk and, and, and Gary, and then Kirk left and it was me and Gary. And then Gary left and I hunted by myself. My friend Bruce came in, hunted with Bruce for a couple of days. And then uh, a lady that we met last year in Montana, uh, Diane Boyd, she came in with her wire hair and we hunted with her for a couple of days. And then she left and I hunted with Bruce and then we wrapped it up. So I got to hunt with a multitude of different people, different dogs, you know, relatives to my to my um, my kennel, and then you know, wire hair, visala, uh, short hair, and the bird count was up, and the dogs were just wonderful together out in the field. It was just so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was a great time. Then I came back, and my friend Bruce came in. The waterfowl season opened up here in in Idaho, so we hunted waterfowl here on the ranch and. For those of you who've read the book or read the magazine article, Old Dogs, and I'll try not to get too emotional here, um, Gus was was one of the primary dogs I spoke about in that article. And Gus is, Gus is on his last legs. He can't walk very well. And so we, um, we put out, he's got the heart. He just doesn't have the legs anymore. We put out a few chucker for him in the fields out there and mm-hmm. let him go out and point and then... I shot and he ran out to, didn't run out. He, you know, hobbled out to retrieve it and he fell down and laid down by the bird and just kind of held it in his mouth for a little while. And then we did one more and, you know, it's tough. They have the heart and, and they have the want to, but the body starts giving away. So, yeah, yeah. um, that was, that was very emotional. You know, Bruce and I were both in tears, but, um, but Gus got, Gus got a few birds. Um, and then, uh, Bruce went home and I did a guided pheasant hunt, uh, with my friend Jim, uh, four days last week, uh, out in Weezer, pheasant and quail. And then I needed some time by myself and the dogs and I, CK and Coda went out to Oregon yesterday and just did a, a chucker hunt, got into a lot of birds and that was fun. So yeah, I've been really, Really having some fun and, and actual hunting, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because uh, it's hunting season and that's what my dogs and I live for. So, yeah, yeah. And we've still got, fortunately, here in Idaho, we still have a couple more months of that ahead of us. So, yeah, I'm just now starting to uh, 
to uh, chucker hunt. I held off from chucker hunting because uh, I know a few dogs got bit by snakes. In fact, my friend Gary's dog, the short hair I talked to you about in Montana, got mm-hmm. bitten by a snake here um, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago. It was been very warm here and the snakes were still out. So I've been holding off to get out. So I'll be yeah. that hard. Yeah. Now. Admittedly, I haven't gone out as much chucker hunting as much for that reason, just because I didn't, you know, didn't want my dogs to accidentally run into some snakes. So now that it's finally actually it was just snowing outside just a second ago and so it's like okay i think the snakes are going to be gone yeah we can go now that's for sure but actually that'll kind of lead us into uh we did get a question about somebody asking the opinion on snake avoidance training so maybe that just is a good segue into that for the time being sure um, yeah, a lot of people ask me that. Should I do snake avoidance with my dog? And I, you will never hear me say no. And the reason for that is I know too many stories of dogs who the snake avoidance helped or they actually, I know I got told a story recently about, um, a dog that actually saved a person from running into the snake. They were walking out there and mm. the dog all of a sudden turned around and came back and got right next to him and he was like what's going on with my dog and the dog just stuck right by him and he looked over and he was just about to walk right into a rattlesnake and and if it wasn't for his dog's reaction yeah he wouldn't have known so um is it good for your dog to do snake avoidance um i'm going to qualify some stuff here yeah yeah yeah. and and that is when they do snake avoidance, they put a e-collar usually on their dog, mm-hmm. on your dog. And then they have the dog come towards the snake and they, of course, shock it pretty good. Yeah. Um, they get the dog to learn to walk around the snake and, you know, so on and so forth. And it does, it does help quite a bit. Dogs will learn to scent the snake and they'll, they'll learn to step away. However, I caution doing snake avoidance before you do e-collar introduction. When I do an e- yeah. yeah, when I do an e-collar introduction, we put the collar on the dog for many days without using it, and we'll get into the e-collar later on. But I talk, I, I use very minimal stimulation, and I teach the dog to turn off the e-collar, and it's real positive for the dog. In fact, when if I grab an e-collar right now, you'll see both my dogs will run up and put their heads up for me to put it on. Yeah, yeah, my dogs uh, do the same thing. Yeah, so you want it to be that way. But if the first thing you do is snake avoidance, and they slap an e-collar on your dog, and then they shock it. Now that dog has got a a negative effect with that e-collar. It's going to remember that the whole, mm-hmm. you know, his entire life. So you want to make the e-collar, and I would advise having an e-collar on that dog well before you get to the class. Yeah. Maybe put it on in the morning, and you want your dog to have introduction to the e-collar prior to doing snake avoidance. Otherwise, you may not be able to train with an e-collar later on because of the introduction prior to the teaching of the dog how to turn off the e-collar. So mm-hmm. I would I would caution about that. Um, and the other thing I'd like to, I like, um, while I'm there on caution about that, that's, that's also true with electrical fence. I get that question asked a lot. Oh yeah. If you have a a electrical fence, you, I would suggest before you start using that, that you introduce the collar again properly Mm -hmm. and the, the, the collar is on the dog a lot so that the, the initial electrical fence stimulation doesn't it doesn't make the negative to the collar right off the bat. So, um, yeah, 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 that's, that's another caution out there. What I would like to say on the, on snakes also is I, I know a lot of vets. I hunt with a lot of vets. I, you know, I've had vets at a number of my clinics and the vaccine sometimes can be a little bit, um, 
controversial, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Some people say, no, I don't think it does much. Some vets say, and some people say, get it. Um, my opinion is, and this is after dealing with a lot of vets and talking to a number of people who have had their dog bitten by, by a snake, is that it's, I, I'm just, this is just me, okay? I don't consider it a, a vaccine, although it's stated as a vaccine. Every vet that I've ever talked to that has dealt with it has said that it buys you time. So when your dog gets bitten, now you got to get to a vet to get the anti-venom. Mm-hmm. Um, but having that vaccine buys you time. Yeah. And, you know, if your dog gets bit, it's, it, it's heart-wrenching. So yeah, absolutely. I do the vaccines on my dogs, um, and that way. And I also take Benadryl. We'll mention Benadryl again. Controversial. Some vets will say it doesn't do a thing. Some vets will say it, it helps. But Benadryl definitely. And if you've taken a big dose of Benadryl, you'll know it makes you kind of tired and, and sleepy. Mm-hmm. Well, Benadryl, if it doesn't help with the snake bite, one of the things that happens when your dog is bitten by the snake is that. It's, it's, it's heart rate can go up and, mm-hmm. and things can start moving around in the body. If you calm the dog down, it's much better for the dog. So slapping some Benadryl in the dog will help calm it down at least. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's vaccine, uh, carry some Benadryl and then the snake avoidance. I do my own snake avoidance. I don't take them to the, uh, to a, to a class. Uh, I have snakes out here and I just, anytime there's a snake out here, I try to get my dog to walk by it. And then I, I, you know, do the stimulation so that they walk around the snake. Mm-hmm. And then I try to get them to go back by the snake and they, and they won't do it. So I just do it kind of like re- repetition creates an automatic response. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I do it every time I, I, I can. And again, snake avoidance, it has to be done, you know, it's not like you do it once and they remember it for the rest of their lives. So um, mm-hmm. I hope I answered that question. It's not just a yes or no question. I want to give yeah. everybody the information that might help them make a decision. Yeah. And I think that that's a really good point about making sure that they do have that e-collar like training already done that, that, you know, acclimation to it because otherwise, yeah, I, you know, I think that that would be a pretty unintended thing that somebody would be like, oh yeah, I'm going to make my sure, sure my dog doesn't head over to a snake and then, but I'm going to, you know, ruin my ability to, to train this dog with an e-collar after that. I, and I've had that situation. I've had people come here with their dog and they've used the e-collar for either a snake avoidance or the fence e-collar. Mm, and, yeah. and they throw that dog on the e-collar. I mean, that e-collar on the dog and the dog reacts totally different than one that was introduced in a slow manner, learning to turn off the stimulation yeah. and so on and so forth. So I, you know, sometimes at my, we're talking e-collar, so I'm just throwing some, I'll pull my e-collar off of my dog when I'm doing a clinic and I'll put it on my palm and I'll press it and I can't even feel it. And I'll, I'll pass it around the, pass it around the people in the, uh, in the audience and say, here, put the e-collar in your palm. And mm-hmm. you know, they'll go, oh, I can't even feel this. And I put it on my dog and my dog can feel it, but it feels it so minimally, minimally, it just turn, knows to turn it off. So it's, yeah. not, it's not negative to it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyhow, again, we'll get into e-collars. I hope I answered the question uh, appropriately and people got the information they needed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, actually speaking about e-callers we did have somebody ask if you have recommendations for e-callers and then with that kind of a part two is do you recommend a gps caller 
Boy, I'm just kind of leading into everything here. <laughs> I know. It's it's like we planned this. <laughs> yeah, but we didn't, honestly. <laughs> so uh, uh, e-collars, I don't have a, a specific recommendation. I mean, I have a number of different e-collars through the years. I've had Tritronics. I've had Sport Dog. I've had, I've had Garmin. I, you know, there's I, there's just a multitude in a tech. Um, I've used a lot of e-collars throughout the years. And I think the electronics on most e-collars are, are really good nowadays, as long as you're not getting a, a cheap, you know, get a, get a good e-collar, mm-hmm. your dog's worth it. Um, yeah, maybe not the $20 special on Amazon or something like that. Yeah, or go to the drugstore, get a, get a good e-collar. I mean, it's your dog. You put a lot of time and effort and heart and love and money into your dog, get something that's good. Yeah. Um, as far as brand name goes, I think all the good brand names you know, have electronics that work well. What I will say is that I want all my e-callers to have three stimulation buttons on them. And what I mean by this is I want them to have um, a, a either a vibrate or a tone. I want them to have a stimulation, and I use continuous because you can nick it yourself, a, a continuation that I call the training button, button mm-hmm. which is that the dog learns to shut off, just like we were just talking just a little bit um, on e-collars. The dog learns to turn that off. So it's a training, that's, that's your training setting. Mm-hmm. And then the third button is what I call a save a dog button. And that is, I want a button that I can hit that's maybe two or three stimulation levels up where the dog's like, what the heck was that? Ouch. Mm -hmm. Now that's if my dog is going to bite a porcupine or go to the snake, as we just talked, or run out in the road where it's headed for uh, the road and, and I can't yell, whoa, it's too far in front of me, but it's a busy street. And I need to stop that dog to maybe save its life mm-hmm. or skunk. It's going towards a skunk. Um, so that button is something that does shock the dog. When I say stimulation, I'm using it no different than you pushing down on your dog's rump to make it sit mm-hmm. or pulling it with a lead, with a slip lead to make it heal. The stimulation is that type of a training yeah, situation. Yeah. But the save a dog button is a shock. And that's, I'm going to, I'd rather shock my dog and have it bitten by a rattlesnake or go into a street and get killed by a truck yeah, or yeah. something of that nature. So I want every every e-collar that I have to have those three buttons that I can program, which is my beeper or my vibration button. You know, Coda's gone to vibration because she's deaf now. 90% of the time I use the beeper because I teach my dog and I don't want to get too far into e-collars, but... A lot of my collars on my dogs around the house, they don't have the prongs on them because all I do is beep them and they'll come or yeah. whatever mm-hmm. I need to do. So I want the button that has a beeper or a vibration. And then I want that one that has a training button. And I want one that has the save a dog. And I want all three buttons separate. So I don't have to turn any knobs or look down or adjust things. Yeah. Yeah. It's to... easy to just grab it. And by memory, know this button is this. Bam. Yep. Yeah. I'm doing this. Yep. So, mm-hmm. um, GPS, I highly recommend a GPS on your dog. Um, you know, I've, and there's a story in the book. Um, I've been with people who have lost their dogs and, uh, one happened right here in Idaho a few years back and, and, when the guy showed up, he didn't have a, a GPS on his dog. And I mentioned that I had an, an extra collar. He was, he was, uh, 
with a friend of mine. He came to hunt with a friend of mine. And I mentioned I have, a, you know, I have an extra because I always carry an extra collar mm-hmm. for my G. I carry everything extra on my GPS system. And uh, he said, no, my dog, my dog, uh, my dog is a close working dog. She won't take off, so on and so forth. And we were hunting and we got into a bunch of quail and I went one way and he went another way. A couple of guys went with me, a couple of guys went with him and they were waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And we had walkie talkies. I also carry a rhino GPS so I know where people are at. And I, uh, you know, I said, what's going on? They can't find the guy's dog. He took off after a quail and now he's gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, hour and a half later, we're still looking for that dog. And the gentleman sat down next to me and started crying. And he said, not only have I lost my best friend, but I have to go home and tell my two sons that I've lost their best friend. I have mm. to go home to my family Oof. and tell them, tell my sons, I've lost their best friend. And this dog was probably around a year old. And uh, lucky enough, the dog finally showed up. I had him leave a t-shirt where we last saw it. And then mm-hmm. we went back, we were in UTVs and uh, and the dog showed up and everything was good. That night he had ordered a GPS system. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually had a buddy that the exact same thing happened to him last year where he was out. And I think he said that there was a deer and the, the dog just took off after this deer and... Uh, it spent, it spent the night out and the next morning they left its kennel and then, uh, and then a sweatshirt in the kennel and they came back the next morning and it was at the kennel. But, but man, I wouldn't want to risk that because uh, yeah. if it, if that dog had, you know, broken a leg or something like that, like it's not getting back to where, you, where you want, where you, you know, lost it from. Yeah. I will also go into uh, a couple other things. One is it makes the hunt, uh, the hunt for me makes the, I hunt chuckers. So we're, I hunted chuckers yesterday. And so we're up in the mountains and we're, uh, uh, your dog goes over the hill and, and it's gone and you can see how far your dog is. You can see what's in on point. And I, it's kind of thrilling to walk over a hill knowing your dog is, 250 yards away, you know, lava rocks amongst the sage and find your dog where it's at on point. So it, mm-hmm. it actually helps with the hunt too. For me, it does. I, you know, I wouldn't be without one, but there, my friend Frank Puccio has two stories th- that um, his dogs were, were on a GPS and talk, he was hunting and he saw his dog on point. And with one of them, he hiked up to find his dog wasn't on point. It had hooked its collar on what's called a harrow. That's something that you use in the farm. And it was basically choking itself on the harrow. Mm. Um, it had got its collar hooked in into it. So he got there and got it untangled and everything was fine. But if he didn't know where the dog was at to go find it, he may have never found the dog. It yeah. may have been stuck inside of that, uh, you know, on the harrow in the bushes forever. Um, another time he thought his dog was on point and he hiked up to find it on point. What he found was seven coyotes around his dog and his dog was trying to fend off the coyotes. Hmm. So it can not only help know where your dog's at to not lose your dog, to track your dog. If you do lose your dog to help with the hunting situation and pointing, it can also help with some other situations too. So um, I would not be out without a GPS on my dog. Again, you know, we mentioned the, the, and by the way, you can get a GPS collar and I'm, I'm going to, throw this out here. Again, I'm not making recommendations to buy this or buy that, 
But the GPS Garmin 550 Plus um, is something that when I talk to people when I'm training with them and they don't have a GPS system and they don't have an e-collar, many times I'll recommend that system because it's a simple handheld system that has the buttons that we talked about. Mm-hmm. It also has the GPS on the collar. So it's a it's great for training and it has a GPS system in it. It's not as... as uh, Technical, technical. Okay, I can't say it. <laughs> it's not as technical as uh, as maybe like the Garmin two hundred or the Garmin Alpha one hundred or all that stuff that's got a big screen and all that. Mm-hmm. But it has yeah, because it need. it its GPS is literally just it points you to where the dog is. Yes, right. Yeah. Doesn't, yeah. Okay. doesn't have the maps. Doesn't have that. But it also what I use is a is a, a watch called the Instinct, and so my. GPS system. I can look at my watch and it shows where my dog's at, how far and what directions there are. And the 550 plus from Garmin does the same thing. And I'm not up on all. There might be some newer stuff out by Garmin. Um, but that's the one I generally recommend to my clients if they're saying, okay, I want to buy an e-collar and I want to get a GPS system. Well, if you buy an e-collar separately and then a uh, top-of-the-line GPS system, you're you're talking about thousands of dollars. Yeah, yeah. Um, Whereas you can buy this one and you can kind of have both within. Now, I like, I probably have seven or eight, you know, e-collars out here that I use for training different dogs and stuff. And then I have my hunting system, which Mm -hmm. is the the entire GPS system. So maybe I do have a little bit of a recommendation there. Um, Yeah, that's a lot of information. I hope, I hope. People understood what I was what I was saying there. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I think I think that was good. You know, and I will just mention on that GPS system, we spend money on vet bills, we spend money on insurance, we spend money on training, we spend money for the dog. Mm-hmm. You know, food and this and that. I am not going to be without a GPS on my dog. I don't care what the cost is. I saw once that somebody said. I thought the cost of a GPS system was expensive until I realized what the cost was of losing my dog. I thought, <laughs> yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to think about it. Like if you had, if your dog was just gone yep. and completely gone, yep. the yep. cost of starting over with, you know, getting a new puppy and yep. the training yep. and yep. financially, physically, and emotionally. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. That doesn't even so. take in, you know, you think about most lawsuits that the big money comes from the emotional damage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so there you go. So, all right. So that question's answered. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, so this next one, uh, so guy has a, uh, a, a puppy still, but it's 12 months old coming into its first season. So it, you know, was literally born last year, right at the beginning of hunting season. And he's just wondering how, you know, so the rule of kind of like, you know, the first year, let your pup, you know, let the puppy be a puppy, Yep. Mm-hmm. but he's kind of hit the end of that first year, but it doesn't have a, a hunting season under it yet. So kind of what maybe, maybe what would be your kind of general, and obviously it's going to depend on the dog and all that kind of stuff. I, you know, I can anticipate a little bit of what you're going to say there, <laughs> yeah. but, but maybe what are some of the things that he should be mindful of and how, how to work this dog, especially out in the field? Okay. Well, uh, first of all, remember what I, I said a while back on one of my, in one of our podcasts or another podcast I did, I'm not sure. Um, that I really don't look at the age of the dog. I look at the experience of the dog. Some dogs might be a year old and have 
my dog at a year old probably pointed and seen 200 birds. Mm-hmm. You know, some dogs can be four years old and not been out on birds yet either. So not so much the age, but the experience. And this this gentleman or this lady has let us know that the dog has not had experience. So I look at more of what has the dog done. Mm-hmm. Has the dog been exposed to this or that? Lots of birds, lots of pointing, lots of training, so on and so forth. Or is it have been minimally exposed? You know, I, yeah, I, you know, yeah. this, on this situation, I don't know, but I look more what what experience does the dog has? Does the dog have rather than the actual age? Sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. the, my dog at three years old, or your dog at three years old, or somebody that's an avid hunter might have a ton of experience. Somebody else might have almost none or none. Yeah. So um, this question is kind of for 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 the experience of the dog, you know, as as well as this gentleman and the age. Um, First and foremost, that first year should be fun. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of pressure. Your dog's going to make mistakes. You're going to have to let it make mistakes. You're going to have to uh, um, try to do your best. And this is hard for people to not make the mistakes that that actually can cause problems for your dog later on, such as shooting a bunch of birds that the dog hasn't pointed. If you want a pointing dog, mm-hmm. it's going to teach your dog to be a flushing dog and not a, not a pointing dog. So, um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back and say, I don't care about hunting season so much as, as what have you done with your dog? Have you introduced it to gunfire? Have you introduced it to birds? Have mm-hmm. you done all that stuff? Because you need to do that stuff before you just take it out and shoot over the top of it and go yeah, hunting with yeah. it. Yeah, and, and, and the thing that it I think is that they've done training with the dog. It just hasn't had the hunting season. Okay, good. I think is I think is my understanding from them. Okay, and if that's the case, then um, you give that dog its first year. Don't have high expectations. Let it have fun. Let it learn to love the hunt mm-hmm. and control your shooting over a, a, a bird that not, has not been pointed. Now, if a yeah. bird flushes far away from the dog and the dog wasn't on it and you want to shoot it, go ahead. But if the dog is taking out birds, yeah, 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 don't shoot those birds. Yep. Don't expect retrieves. You know, if the dog goes to the bird and picks it up, great. Mm-hmm. Um, if it does pick it up and wants to carry it around, let it carry around, as we've talked about in our other stuff. Yeah. So, you know, first and foremost, this first year is to, for the dog to learn to love to hunt and to get out there and have some experiences, make some mistakes. And then next year, it it can be brought up to much higher expectations of your dog because now it's now it's had its year. Right. It's mm-hmm. had its fun. Mm-hmm. It's learned to love the hunt. You're not going to break its spirit. You can go ahead and, and apply some pressure prior to the season and then during the season. But that first year, let it be a puppy. Let it have, I don't care what age it is. If it's 12 months old or nine months old or a year and a half old, if it hasn't had that experience out in the field, let it go have some fun. Yeah. Yeah. You know, keep your expectations down and let the dog have some fun. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. That's kind of, that's kind of in the lines of what I thought you were going to say, but it is, it is good to hear that, that even in that, you know, yeah, that, that continuation of let the dog learn to love to hunt. Yep. Yep. And and they might surprise you. Some dogs go out there and just rock it and that's great, you know, Mm -hmm. um, but even if it's rocking it, just make sure it's having fun, you know? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we've got one more question that I, I don't think this one should take very long. So we'll go ahead and get to it, even though we're yeah, almost half an hour in here already. Oh but <laughs> we'll get to the book in just a second. But so the question was, uh, so with with a puppy in particular, uh, 
how are you kind of balancing like free time for it? So like being able to roam, being out of the kennel, being just with the family, or even uh, they talked about like they have a fenced backyard that usually when they like leave for the day, they just leave the dogs in the backyard just to roam around and be free versus kennel time. And how, you know, how do you, how do you, how might you balance that? And is there any, like, do you think there's any potential bad outcomes that might come from letting a dog have too much freedom? Well, you know, there's an old myth that, you know, you can't, you can't baby your bird dog or you got to keep your bird dog in a kennel. It can't be in the house and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. And I got to tell you when I was growing up, right. We, we, we had ranch dogs and farm dogs. Mm-hmm. That was it. They were tools. They were left outside. They weren't allowed in the house. They were, they were left outside all the time and, and they were kenneled and so on and so forth. And I grew up with no dogs in the house and blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm not like that at all anymore. Not <laughs> yeah, at all. Yeah. And 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 the any any even thoughts that you have to have your dog in a kennel so much for it to be a good bird dog, I think is just it's been proven over and over again. That's just that's just a myth. You can let your dog my dogs have complete roam of the house, complete roam of the yard, complete roam of everything when I gone. When I'm gone. In fact, my dogs are rarely in the kennel. I can put them in a kennel if I want to, but they're basically never in a kennel. Mm-hmm. And they will sit on my on my couch and next to me and watch watch a movie. And I can tell you, you know, they've been to the Invitational. They're UT dogs. They guide hunt. Anybody who's been been around my dogs can see they're incredible hunting dogs. Mm-hmm. But yet they're great family dogs. So, no, I don't think there's any need for any specific kennel time. To make your dog a good bird dog. Your dog can love you, be in your house, be in the backyard, have fun, be part of the family in its entire life and never be in a kennel and still be a fantastic hunting dog. Top of the line hunting dog. Yeah. So I, I think I answered that. Yeah. I yeah. Hope. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, let's, we'll go ahead and get into the book here, uh, which uh, we have some exciting news about the book that we, you know, you found out since the last time that we talked. Why don't you share a little bit about that for us? Yeah, I came back from Montana and there's been a, a couple of organizations that have, you know, rated books and so on and so forth. And I've got a couple of uh, awards that, um, for the for the book being the number one, uh, and you know, I'm not trying to break here, so I apologize, but uh, it was rated the best overall bird dog training book in a couple of organizations. And I got back from Montana, and I was notified that I think it was Hepper.com or Helper.com had picked the ten best bird dog training books, and mine was rated again number one overall. And I was just like, wow. Mm-hmm. I, I and I don't know. I, I want to say this to the people out there that um, I don't know how they rate these. I know they read them. I know this one had some vets that talked about some stuff. and But I think part of the reason is they go by the reviews, maybe. I, I'm not 100% sure. But I have had some really neat reviews and ratings on the book. And I got to tell you that I read every one. I read every single review. And th- they touch my heart. I mean, when I read them, I actually say, out loud to the people who I don't know who they are, because most of them times it doesn't say their name. A lot of times it mm-hmm. just says whatever, but I'll read it. And I will say, thank, thank you. Thank you for liking my book. Thank you for using my book. Thank you mm-hmm. for working with your puppy. And thank you for, for, for writing this because it means a whole lot to me to know that people are actually enjoying the book, putting it to use 
and bonding closer with their puppies, maybe because of something that they've read in the book or something I've done, is just thrilling to me. So I, I, I want to thank everybody out there who, who, who goes out and, and, and rates the book and writes a review. Um, I think it helps others because, you know, you go and you, you, you read some reviews on Amazon or whatever. It's rated on a few different sites. And, you know, reviews can be, I don't know what I want to say. They can be made up a little bit. But when you see a ton of reviews that say the same thing or mm-hmm. you go, okay, this is the real deal. There must be something in here that, that's, that's, that, that makes sense or that's good. And I think it helps people. So thank you, everybody, for, 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 for buying the book and for using it. And, and uh, thank you for, for rating it on Amazon or wherever. I really appreciate it. And I, and I love reading your reviews. I really do. So thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and we, we also hope that this podcast is, has been really influential for people and we've gotten some reviews as well that have just indicated that it's been really, really good for people. So we're excited to keep doing this for everybody. Yeah. I saw, I saw a post the other day, uh, and I got to actually, uh, cause I get a lot of messages and stuff where a gentleman was out with his dog and he, you know, sent a message, but I saw a post on Facebook where he thanked you and me for the podcast. Mm-hmm. And the book yeah. And stuff. Yeah. I, I saw that one that as well. I was like, yeah, way to go. <laughs> All right. Well, en- enough talk about the book itself. Uh, let's get into to our next topic, which uh, is bringing out the pointing instinct. All right. Shall we jump here? Right in? Yeah, about let's do time, it. Huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, first of all, and, and people who now have listened to the podcast and have read the book are going to go, OK, I know what he's doing. He does the same thing with his dogs. We're going to step back a little bit. Just like I do, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about what we've done to go forward on what we're going to do, right? And yep. we've talked about how we do that with dogs. So let's let's look at what we've done with the dog at this point. We've introduced we've introduced it to birds, and we've introduced birds in a positive way. We've introduced it to the launcher. We've let the birds flush in front of it. We've got the dog come the puppy comfortable with birds and confident with birds. We've let it chase, right? So you know when we introduced it to birds, I said let it chase. Then we've introduced it to gunfire. We've we've shot whatever we, however we did it, however long it took. We we got gunfire accomplished in a positive manner. We've got the dog going away hearing gunfire, and for me, I like the dog coming back towards me with gunfire, and I mm-hmm. like it to get a bird when it gets back. So we now have the dog or the puppy already introduced to birds, already introduced to the launcher, already introduced to gunfire. Now we can put it all together for the dog out in the field, and it's going to make sense. For the, for the dog. So the first thing I do is I take and I, I, I wing lock a bird and in the book, it shows you how to wing lock. You just double lock the wings and I go out and I draw this, the, the picture that I told you looks like a lollipop. I do a circle with a line and I put the, mm-hmm. this bird inside of the, the circle and we've already done easy with our dogs, right? We've done the, we talked about how we do woe, how we put the half hitch under the, under its belly and do woe. So what I do is I put a half inch under the belly and I bring the dog or puppy into the, into the bird. Now, why do I put a half hitch on the belly? Because on a high drive dog or puppy, the worst thing you can do, in my opinion, this is on a high drive dog, is have it run out and grab a bird, especially its first bird. Because mm-hmm. now you just taught it, you're always teaching your dog that you can grab a bird. So now in its mind is, oh, I can probably get this one. 
So I don't want it to have the capabilities of grabbing a bird. So I'm going to have mm-hmm. control of the dog when we go to that first bird, and I'm not going to have it in the launcher. I'm going to have it in a, in a just just wing locked, and I'm going to have it on a lead. I bring the dog or puppy into the bird, and many times the the pup will go on point on its own. And if it does, first thing I do is, whoa. Good boy. Mm-hmm. Good girl. So what's 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 happening to this dog? It goes in, it smells a bird, it goes on point, and then you tell it to woe. It's been woed all its life so far, right? If we're doing going with the book. Mm-hmm. So it says, okay, I'm supposed to stand here. It's also been praised during what it's uh, what it's complying to, whether it be woe or sit. I'm told you, you know, praise your dog during the compliance. Yeah. So you, you tell it to woe and it says, okay, I'm supposed to stay here. And good boy, good girl. It feels okay. I'm doing the right thing. And then I have either the owner or myself, depending on, on, on who I'm working with, go to the pup. I'll walk up holding the lead. So the pup is now on point. And I don't say woe before it goes on point. I let the dog stop on point. So let me back up a little bit. If I have a dog that doesn't go on point on its own, now I'm going to let the dog get excited. It'll get excited. And then it's going to get closer and closer and closer. And then I just hold the lead. And I let it stretch out and tighten on the dog's belly. It's used to this already, right? We use this for woe. We mm-hmm. use it for easy. So again, the dog understands what's going on. It starts to go in for the bird and it doesn't stop on its own. And then the lead tightens up and it stops on its own. Haven't said a word. That's, that's a point, right? It hasn't pointed instinctively, but it has pointed. It has stopped. So mm-hmm. that's when I'll use woe. Whoa, good boy, good girl. So using the lead, hello, my dogs just looked at me because I said good boy, good girl. Um, I'll use the lead and I'll, I'll walk myself up to the puppy holding it. And my wife might want to move again. I'll say, whoa, and then I'll grab the collar and I'll unhook the lead. So now I have the collar or I have someone that has the collar. And I'll walk up and I'll put myself between the bird and the dog, unhook the wings of the bird real quick and let the bird go and then let the collar go if i'm holding the bird or somebody's holding let the collar go and let the bird let the dog have a chase so the dog goes up it's on a lead it can't grab the bird it points on its own we grab the dog's collar we unhook the bird's wings let it fly off let the dog chase good boy good boy good girl good so it kind of mimics what would really happen in a hunting situation if everything mm-hmm. went right yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and if, if the dog doesn't stop on its own, we let the lead tighten up. So now we have bird introduction. The dog's found a bird. It's pointed either on its own or with a little bit of help. And it's seen the bird flush. We know that it has introduction to gunfire. It's fine. So, and we know we've done a launcher because we've introduced it to launchers already. Mm-hmm. Right. So now we're going to put the launchers out in the field and I'm going to let the dog go in without a lead. And I'm going to try a few birds. And as the dog gets close, you're going to see it make game. As the dog gets close, when it gets too close, I'm going to pop the bird. And it's going to fly away. And we're going to walk away. Might do another bird. It gets too close. Pop the bird. Let it fly away. Walk away. Let the dog chase. Let it do whatever it wants. Just walk away. Mm-hmm. On, a, on third, fourth, or fifth bird, if I'm not getting a dog that's 
the pointing instinct has now come out because it's kind of like the wing and the string. Remember we did the, the wing on the string where you're bouncing it away from the dog? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and let me touch on that just in case anybody hasn't heard that. What you do is you take a little puppy and you... You throw the wing and the string out. A lot of times I'll do this with the dog before I take it out in the field. And every time the pup goes for the wing, you pop it away and you pop it away and you pop it away. And many dogs will will start going slowly towards that wing and then they'll point the wing. Some real high power dogs won't ever point that wing and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I do is then give the wing to them to mouth, whether they point it or don't, just to make the connection that you have the wing, you will give them the bird you know, later on, yeah, you're part yeah. of that process. So, um, so it's kind of like the wing on the string only with scent. They get too close, the bird flies away. They mm-hmm. get too close, the bird flies away. If, if they don't point on their own, then I will help them and I will put a lead back on them. And as they go towards the launcher, again, the lead will tighten up until they have to stop. And then we're going to say, whoa, and we're going to flush that bird and we're going to shoot that bird. Okay. Yeah. So now, now we're putting everything together. Now the dog has had to stop. If it has not stopped, it has chased a bird and not gotten anything. Just, we walked away. And if it does point on its own, then we're going to go to a bird and shoot it. When it's pointing, we're going to flush that bird and shoot it. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't point on its own, then we're going to use the lead to help it point on its own. And then we're going to flush that bird, launch it and shoot it. What we're placing in the dog's mind is, okay, we're a team. If I really want to get that bird in my mouth, I have to work as a team with this this man or, or lady. And the dog will start realizing after that, the dog will start realizing that you're a team and you can, you can put birds out there and launchers. And every time that dog goes to, to, too close, you launch the bird and walk away. It will slowly start getting the fact that it has to point. And once it starts pointing and starts getting birds, that pointing instinct will just come right out. It'll start pointing a lot. Now it might break it when it gets excited, mm-hmm. but we can go into steadiness later on. Yeah. But that's how I bring the pointing instinct in it. I, I control the dog first um, with a lead. Let it chase. Then I go to launchers. If it points, then we shoot it. If I can't get it to point after a number of birds, then we help it with a lead and we bring out that pointing instinct with a little bit of help. Once it's pointing, then we go a little farther. Now we're, now we're getting into what we talked about, the dog that I used at my demonstration. Once it's pointing, then we sit there and wait it out and let it make mistakes. And mm-hmm. when it moves, the bird goes bye-bye. Yeah. And pretty yeah. soon it'll stay there until the bird launches on its own and we shoot it and then it gets to go get a bird. So yeah. um, that's the process I use. I'm, I'm condensing this, you know, because, uh, you know, we're already a half hour, 40 minutes into this <laughs> yeah. and I could talk about pointing forever. Um, but if the pointing instinct's in there, once that dog starts stopping, it will, it will come out. And, you know, people talk about their dogs. Well, my dog wants to get too close to the bird and, and sometimes the bird's flush. That's the same way I teach a dog to start pointing from further away. I do the same thing, only I flush the bird sooner. Mm. I make sure it's coming into the wind where the bird's at. Yeah. And yeah. as I see it get, get, um, making game and getting birdie, I'll start flushing the bird sooner and sooner and sooner. And the dog will start pointing further and further away because it knows that it knows the bird's going to go bye bye. Yeah, which actually so. that kind of brings me to a, 
maybe a question of clarification. So you, you kept making this statement when it gets too close, like how close is too close? Cause obviously you don't want it. You, you're not flushing that bird. Like as it gets to the launcher, because you don't want to risk it catching it out of the launcher. So how, like if somebody's doing this on their own, about how far away are you, especially initially launching that bird? Like, are they 10 feet away? Are they 15 feet away? Are they, you know, four feet, you know, how, how far up approximately? Okay. Uh, again, I always answer questions with qualifications, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, um, it depends on the dog's nose and what the dog's body language is. Okay. Sometimes mm. the dog doesn't have a real strong nose or hasn't put it, to, hasn't put together yet that this nose means to point that it's on a bird. Mm-hmm. So if I've got it on that, if I've got it on that check lead, it might be three feet from the bird. It might go right up to the bird until okay. I know okay. it's real close, but I have total control of mm-hmm. it, right? Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to get it real close because this is the first bird that it's getting, that it's actually coming up to. It's not sure what to do. Sometimes they'll point, sometimes they won't, but I want to get a, a, a I want a, a nose full of scent and mm-hmm. then it has to stop. So it can get real close. I might even let it see the bird depending on the situation there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it could be really close. Now, now is is some is some of that because you want to it's it's again you're trying to set them up for success correct so you want them to be able to make that connection as easily as possible correct okay 100 100 yep yep i want them to make the connection this is bird scent is when i get when it gets strong when we get to the bird if i don't stop the bird goes bye-bye if i do stop i get a bird in my mouth and i get praised and I, everything's happy mm-hmm. If, mm-hmm. once we get to the launcher when they when the bird when we send the bird bye-bye we don't give them any praise or anything we turn our back we turn our back to them and walk away because they didn't point right yeah so it's yeah. kind of like you get nothing so now when we do get to the when we are on the launcher I'm, I'm watching the dog. If the jo- dog's a fast charging dog, you know, it senses it and it's going in for the kill. I'm going to launch that thing real fast. It might be 20, 30 feet away because that dog's on the mm-hmm. move running in. Yeah, because at that point, you know, like when you have that instant that you know that dog knows there's a bird there. And if it's charging in, just pop it. It pop it. It's going okay. in for a takeout right? It's yeah, going in yeah. for a takeout. And if it's going in for a takeout, launch it, turn around and walk away. And sometimes what I do is as the dog's chasing that bird and it turns around, I start throwing birds out of my vest. Remember we talked about oh, this earlier? Oh, yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm, now the dog mm-hmm. is chasing this bird and it's looking back and I got three or four pigeons flying away from me and I start shooting in the air and it's like, holy crap, what's going on over there? <laughs> yeah. And it comes running uh-huh. back. So maybe second, maybe next time it doesn't take off quite so fast because when it ran away, it lost all the birds. Yeah, right? yeah. So okay. I do that with it. Now, if I have a dog that's creeping, right, it's slowly creeping, starting to slow down, maybe stopped and creeped a little bit more and stopped creeping. I'm going to let the dog get up there a little bit and see if I can get a point out of it. Cause the main thing I want to do is get it to stop and go, Whoa. Yeah. And then have a bird flush and then maybe shoot a bird. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to watch the dog's body language. We don't train every dog the same. Yeah. Right? Yeah, we're, exactly. We're reading, we talked about reading the dog. Is the dog trying to point? Is it slowing down? I'm going to let it get closer and closer and closer. And then I'm going to pop it. So, um, I hope that answered the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because yeah. I think that that, yeah, just kind of that difference between, yeah, when you've got that hard charging dog with a great nose that, you know, it knows where that bird is and it's, you know, 10, 15, 20 yards away even sometimes yep. versus the dog that's like a little bit more cautious. There is a difference in where you'll pop that. Yep. It, yeah. And, okay. and, and yeah, so, no, that's good. A, a little training 
tip here is if you have a dog that likes to rush in, one of those hard charging dogs, what I then do is, remember I told you about the lollipop that I, I, I'm coming, I'm coming mm-hmm. to the bird with a scent line coming to it. So it's got a lot of scent. Yeah, because I want yeah. it to find the bird, right? And I want it to scent that bird. I want to work its way into the into the into the bird from downwind, coming up into the scent, and then stop. Some of those hard charging dogs you can't get to do that. They they get they get wound up. The more scent they get, the more wound up they get, right? <laughs> yeah. So then what I do is I bring the dog in, maybe 10, 20 feet, ten yards from the from the bird at a 90 degree angle from the scent. So think of this, mm. think of a think of a smoldering fire, right? That's smoldering, you got just a real slight breeze mm-hmm. and we have what's called a scent cone. And yeah. the scent yep. is coming up like the smoke, right? So the smoke is coming up and then it's then it's it's meandering off the off the fire and it's making a trail outward, okay? When you're working most dogs because dogs like to work into the scent cone, you're coming into that smoke. You have a really light smoke and it's getting thicker and thicker and thicker as it gets closer to the fire and the dog will sooner or later stop. If it doesn't, then you launch the bird. Mm-hmm. If you've got that hard charging dog, then you come in 90 degrees sideways. So you're coming in with, think of the smoke, clean air, clean air, clean air, clean air, and then thick smoke right in your face. Yeah. And the dog is like, what was that? I do the Mm -hmm. same thing with the scent from the bird. I come in from a 90 degree angle into the scent cone and that those hard charging dogs many times will now hit that scent full in the face and they'll turn sideways. And what is that? Bam. And then they lock on the point. Once you get them to lock on the point, you have woe established. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Launch Mm -hmm. a bird, shoot a bird or praise them. Um, And I'll throw this tip out. Many of you may not be able to shoot birds where you're at. So I carry a, a, a dead bird in my pouch. So you launch the yeah. bird and the bird flies away. You throw a dead bird towards the, the, the towards the bird or the dog runs around and comes back and you throw it and you let it grab the bird and, and praise it and let it run around with the bird. Um, again, another, another tip that I've already shared is when you do shoot a bird or you toss a dead bird and it's a young puppy, when you, when their dog comes back to you, back up or just walk alongside of it and praise it. If mm-hmm. it's not munching that bird, let it have it. Let it show show off its prize. Let it run around with that bird because yeah. it will yeah. it will do two things. It'll teach it to hold. It'll teach it that you're not going to take it away right away. Sometimes I take the bird away and give it right back to them. We've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. And and you'll get a dog that will retrieve much quicker if you do this because They've got to hang onto their bird. They've got to walk around with it. They've developed a soft mouth. They've they're not afraid of you calling you calling them right to you and then pulling the bird out of their mouth. Um, so let them do that. So you're not only working with the bird as part of the reward for pointing, but you're also helping them become a better retriever later on when we get to retrieving. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. So. No, no, no. That's that's great. That's great. Okay. Well, I think we'll go ahead and move on to our next subject then. Okay. So, uh, the next training chapter that we have is introduction to water. Okay. Um, introduction to water to me is similar to gunfire or birds or whatever. I'm going to take everything slowly. And I, uh, I, you might have a dog that runs into the water and just wants to go. And if you do, great. Toss something out there and praise the heck out of it. Let him or her go. Right? Yep. And you might have that dog. There's some dogs that just go right into the water. Poof. And they're gone. Uh, great. Toss something out there. Make sure when you toss something out there, I'll throw this out. Make sure you toss out there. When you toss something out there, you toss something out there that they can get. 
I mm-hmm. see I see people, and I'll teach you a trick with with rocks. Throw rocks and stuff out there to get their dog out there, and then there's nothing there. Yeah, yeah, and all that teaches them is that. Well, there was no point in coming out here. Yeah, there's no point in coming out here. And you're telling me to come out here and find something. There's nothing here. They might lose a little confidence in the fact that you sent them out there again for something. So mm-hmm. um, I always want to make sure I have a bumper or a dead bird or something for them to grab and come back with and praise the heck out of them when they come back. Um, so if you have, if you're walking along the edge of a lake, a pond, a creek or whatever, and your dog seems like it wants to go, let it go. Just entice it. Just use what it's doing naturally mm-hmm. to, 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 you know, to induce it to go out there and do it. So that's absolutely fine. Some of the things that I do, because many times in many smart dogs, uh, Coda is probably the best, Coda and Gus are two of the best duck dogs that we've had as far as retrieving goes. Gus did not like to retrieve when he was young. It wasn't until we force-fetched him that he became a great retriever. Coda liked to retrieve, but when when we first got to her in the water as a puppy, she was like, I'm not going into that dark hole. I don't know what's there. (laughs) Now she's a water fiend. So some smart dogs, they just think and they go, I'm not jumping into that. I don't know what's there. But once they get confidence and Mm -hmm. say, okay, this is fine, they become great water dogs, which is what Coda is. So. I like to take it slow. I just I just tested a dog in an NA test um, who got all fours in water and everything. And and uh, that dog was really timid in water. I mean, very timid. Didn't even want to put his paws in the water. And now we tossed the bumper out in the test. Man, it was going. And then I tossed the second bumper too far. It swam across, grabbed the bumper, swam across the pond, came back. It was going crazy. It was a very <laughs> timid dog. But we introduced that dog very slowly yeah. because it was so timid of the water. Mm-hmm. So... So having said that, um, what I generally do is I, I first, uh, if the dog wants to go, obviously I let it go, but I first start walking with the dog in the water myself. I will walk. Is that better? I hear my hearing some, yeah, some I'm, feedback I'm, here. Yeah, I'm getting a little bit of feedback too. Just a second. Sorry, folks. Are we still going or? Yeah, go Go ahead. Go ahead. I think that. So what I do is I try to walk my dog in, in the water first, meaning I just have it walk with me. I will walk it to where it's just ankle high and the dog is just having fun and it's confident. It's been with me all its life. So it wants to run around with me and be next to me. So I keep going. So yeah, yeah, go ahead and keep going. I, uh, I, um, I'll just walk with the dog in the water. I'll just kind of walk along with it with, with, with the water in the water with me and I'll slowly get a little deeper, a little deeper. And then, um, what I will do is I will take the dog and I'll wet its belly. And this is a, this is a real good tip. I'll wet the dog's belly. And if there's a place I can completely walk across a pond or a Creek, I will walk across that and let the dog follow me back and forth. Mm-hmm. The dog now gets confidence, and that's what we did with this one dog that that um that, that was really water timid. We got that dog walking back and forth and back and forth across across the pond where it didn't have to swim. Then I just raised the pond and walked across it, and when it had to swim, I had already wet its belly, so it didn't feel it hit its belly. Mm, it yeah. just started swimming. 
So, as a matter of fact, that's a tip when I test my dogs um, for NA and they have to enter the water before it's my turn. I always wet my dog's belly. Because if you've ever walked into a pool slowly or in a pond. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. That shock of yeah. like, oh. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure I want to do this. You hit the business area of your body and you go, whoa, okay. That, that, that didn't feel so good. Um, that happens to puppies too. And once they stop, it's much harder to get them to go in. But if they don't feel that and they're already in motion, um, then it will, it's much, much more likely that they'll continue to move on. So mm-hmm. that's one way I do it. I just kind of walk across water that I know that they don't have to swim, wet their belly. And then I walk across an area where they have to swim. I'll put on my waders and they'll just follow me across. I make oh. it, all, I make it all fun. And that's what we're doing. We're just having fun together. That's mm-hmm. all we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to make sure that again, it's not this like you better get in the water. It's, it's yeah. a, no, this is a good, a good thing, positive thing, which is very much in line with, with everything else that you talk about. Yeah. We're just playing. We're just enjoying some, we're just hanging out together doing this. Um, many times if I have a, a, an owner and I've walked the dog around with me in the, and the owner ankle high or whatever. And the dogs walked around, got used to the water. And, you know, again, this might take one session and the dog just is running around in the water, no problem. And by the end of the session, the dog's swimming like a fish. But with some dogs, like the one that just passed its NA test, it took about a month. It took four or five sessions before this dog was mm-hmm. real confident in the water. So if I see the dogs getting pretty confident running around in the water and we're, we're getting to the point where I want it to have it swim, then what I'll do is either have the owner walk across the water where it has to swim across, or I'll have the owner on the other side and I'll walk the dog on the opposite side and have the owner start calling it. Now the, mm-hmm. dog's, the dog's frolicked in the water. It's not afraid of the water. It starts walking out and uh, the owner starts calling it. I've already wet the dog's belly and it wants to get to the owner real badly. I mean, sometimes I'll have the owner throw a bird up in the air or a bumper up in the air and it just wants to get to the owner. So it starts swimming. Mm-hmm. And once it swims across, we'll do that four or five times. And almost every single time by about the third, fourth or fifth time, the dog's just going across. It's now confident. It, yeah, now knows, yeah. it now knows it can swim. It now knows that it's it's its owner's on the other side or, or I'm walking across with it. Once it's got confident and it's no longer afraid, the dogs just start swimming. It's, it's just no big deal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My so. my older dog, Sadie, uh, the her, her first summer, I couldn't really, you know, she wasn't super confident in the water and... Um, so that fall she didn't, she didn't swim at all. And I didn't, you know, I didn't try to make her, especially in during hunting season when it was colder and that next spring, literally just the first hot day, I just, you know, I was like, well, she, you know, she really likes to be right with me, you know, a lot of the times. And I just went out to a lake and literally just, I walked in far enough that she had to swim and she was like, well, you aren't going to leave me. Yep. Yep. And she instant and, and literally from that moment on, like this last summer we were, we were at another lake and some ducks started swimming by and she swam 20 minutes trying to chase this duck down because you know, it was like, Oh, Oh yeah, I can do this. This is great. Yep. Absolutely. All you're doing is letting the, as we've talked before, we're putting it in a sequence where the dog understands it and then mm-hmm. the dog does it, you're praising it and the dog's getting confidence in it. That's all you're doing with water work too. Um, now I have had some dogs um, and in the book, I talk about the sinking dog that was actually sinking in the water. But I have had some dogs that just couldn't get over the part where they wanted to go all the way in. 
They just couldn't go all the way in. Mm-hmm. Um, they would just stop no matter what. You wet their belly, their owner's on the other side. I walk across them. The one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to grab a lead and start pulling the dog in. Now it becomes very negative, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so what I've done with a few dogs that have had that problem that I couldn't get them over that bridge. And, you know, people will say, I'm going to throw this out there. Well, if you don't have a dog that goes in by itself and it doesn't swim, you probably don't have good breeding. I'll forget about that. Some dogs just don't want to swim, but once they learn to swim, they're fantastic dogs. Mm-hmm. So again, you train each dog differently. You use what works with that puppy, yeah, right? Yeah. So what I have done is I've picked up the puppy. Now this is after it's walked around and got comfortable walking around in the in the water. It's frolicked in the water. It can walk around. It goes up to the edge. It just won't swim. It won't get over that bridge of taking that next step and swimming. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I put on my waders and, and I actually do this with my puppies. When we have a little litter of puppies, we take them out in the water and have them swim out all the time. Um, they do that starting at about six weeks old. I basically do the same thing with a puppy or a dog. I pick it up, take it in the water. I'm holding it. I hold it in the water where it's, it has to swim out. And I just hold it and praise it. Okay, good boy. It's okay out here. Mm-hmm. And I pet it and the dog comes down and I let it go and it, and it swims out, right? And I do that a couple of times and it starts swimming out and then it realizes it can swim. Now when we walk back across, it's already, it has already swam out. Is that correct English? From the middle, it has already mm-hmm. you know, been swimming in that same area to get out of the water. Now we're going to walk across the water. Well, it's, it, it's already realized. So oh, I've been out there. I've been out there already. And we walk right across and the dog follows you right across and goes and starts swimming. So mm-hmm. I've done that with a few dogs too, where I've had to go in and hold them in the water at swimming level and let them swim out. 90% of the time, you walk across the water after the dog's frolicked in the water, had fun in the water, you've wet its belly, you walk across that water and entice it, and that dog goes right across with you. Mm-hmm. That's generally how I do it. Um, you know, I'm using that as a method to to work with your dog to get it to, 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 to go in the water. If a dog is looking like it wants to go in the water and I'm tossing stuff and it goes, I'm just praising it. Let it go. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a natural. It yeah. goes out. Yeah. Just, just let it go. I will tell you a trick about getting about a tip about getting dogs to go out in the water, especially for testing. And that's the, that's the magical bird. And, um, this is good for duck search. It helps build confidence for duck search in the future. And it also helps build confidence for the dog going out. What I will do is once I know the dog will swim, I will take some rocks and we were talking about tossing rocks. I'll start tossing rocks and tell it to fetch, go get it, fetch it, fetch it, fetch it. And when the dog starts swimming, I will throw a dead bird over the top of dog and let it splash about five or six feet in front of the dog. It's mm. already out in the water. Yeah. So it sees the splash. It runs over there and it finds the bird. Magic. It's like, okay, he sent me out. I saw the splashes. I go to it and now here's the bird. And mm-hmm. I do that every once in a while. And that gives that dog confidence that when you say fetch, go out and it sees some splashes, there's going to be a bird up here. Yeah. Yeah. And so that teaches your dog to go out when it doesn't see anything in the water, maybe some splashes and that there will be something there. Um, you can do it with a bumper for dirt. If a dog likes bumpers, I'll do that. Um, but you know, a bird is always great and the dog gets bird yeah, yeah. It's, it's happy. So that's, that's my introduction to water. It's pretty simple. It probably sounds a lot harder when I'm speaking here in the podcast than when I'm actually doing it. Again, what I'm doing is reading the dog and I'm using whatever works for that dog. 
Um, if it wants mm-hmm. to go out on its own, we entice it. If it wants to frolic in the water, we let it frolic. If I walk across and it wants to follow me, good. You know, we're going to, we're going to take it at the dog's pace and we're going to do what makes that dog understand to comply. Mm-hmm. Means go out in the water and then we're going to praise the heck out of it. We're going to give it its reward, whether it be a bird out in the water, whether it be praise when it comes out, whatever we're going to make it, we're going to make it feel happy than glad that it did it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, it all just boils down to that. Like, you know, some dogs, this is going to be a 20 minute, it's good to go. And, but there'll be that other dog. Like I think you talked about, you know, could be a month and four or five sessions yep. of, you yep. know, 15, 20 minutes and maybe even more. And, yep. you know, yep. actually I've, my, my younger pup is, man, she just, I, I can't, it's been, it's actually the water intro has been the hardest thing with her for me at this point, partially because I think partially because my other dog spoiled me that literally I just walked into the water far enough that she had to swim and she just came to me. But, um, and so I've, I've even had to, to get to the point where I've taken her out there and, and, you know, she kind of, I think it's kind of like that dog that you talked about that sank where she just gets so So, nervous and and one of the things that i started doing which has helped her a lot with it uh is i would actually take out with me you know a bumper Mm -hmm. and because she she loves bumpers she's all about them Mm -hmm. and so i would take that out and then i just you know and then she would start to focus on that instead of the fact that she was in the water and would toss the bumper out and she would go get that and then just go to shore. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And that's building out come from, are you wetting her belly first? Yeah. Try wetting mm-hmm. her belly first? Oh yeah. Okay. I, no, okay. I, I tried a lot of the tricks. Okay. <laughs> so there's, a, there's other tricks that you can do too, that I, I haven't had to use, but I, I have used. And that is like, you know, clip the wings off of a, of a, a bird that can't fly, but it can flap around and throw it in the water. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. let the dog try to chase Yeah. That yeah. That's the, that's the one thing I haven't really had access to at this point. I, you know, like living where I live, I having live birds around is not yeah. really something I can do. Yeah. But uh, another thing I've done is I've put the bird in a harness to where it's on a my fishing pool, and uh, this is to get the dog that I know has gone in the water, frolicked in the water, mm-hmm. wet its belly. Mm-hmm can't get it past the step of going in and I mean maybe even taking it out and put it in the water and it swam out and put the bird in the harness and and on a fishing pole start bouncing it on the top of the water and let the dog get enticed to go for the bird so I do things like that Mm -hmm. Um, some people will use popcorn toss it in the water they'll use Cheetos if the dog's uh if the dog is Mm. uh a food oriented you know yeah yeah Um, again I would suggest that you wet the dog's belly and you let it run around ankle deep and and mm-hmm. let it get used to the water first, and then uh, and then you know people use popcorn and Cheetos and stuff so that the dog runs out, and wants to eat, and goes out there for a food oriented dog. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of little tricks that you can do to get out there. Yeah, the main thing is to take it to the dog's pace. I like to um, I like to walk with the dog in the water, get it comfortable, make it all play fun, take a bumper, take a toy, take whatever, and uh, um, you know, and and then and then go into the swimming part. But if I have a dog wants to go out, looks like it wants to go, we'll throw some stuff out and it goes, it might literally take two minutes, you know, on some dogs, mm-hmm. like you say, the other, the other dogs might take five, five weeks, six weeks, depending on what the situation is. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. 
Good. Well, I think that that's going to be all that we get to today. Uh, no, we were hoping to get in tracking, but man, well, I mean, the questions were good and, and it was great to hear about your trips and, you know, a couple minutes talking about the success of the book, which is just, which is just phenomenal and not surprising to me at all, but, um, it is to me, I'm in awe and I'm surprised and I'm thankful and, and, you know, uh, yeah, I am, I'm, I, I, you know, Sometimes I think I'm I'm like the you know the guy or the girl who has something happen to them. They get discovered and they get in a movie or some crazy thing, and they're like, "Why? Well, I, I didn't know this was going to happen." The way my book is is going is like, "I I didn't know this was going to happen," <laughs> but but it but it's been great, and you know I yeah, I want to thank everybody again. You might get some suggestions. You know we're talking about we're answering these questions, and we can't answer all the questions. You know, maybe we should answer the questions at the end for people who don't want to listen to that. I don't know. I'm just asking oh, people yeah, if, yeah. They, if they want feedback, you know, give us some feedback. Yeah, yeah. Feel free. Write yeah. us in tips and tails podcast at gmail.com. And um, yeah, maybe we, yeah, if, if enough people say that that's what they'd like to hear, we can we can absolutely switch it up. And yeah, yeah. Um, although once we get talking to training, I might never get out of training. <laughs> yeah, that is that is very true. That is very true. Yeah, because it's I mean, there's just so much good stuff we can always there's always something else it seems that we can talk about with it yeah so i hope uh, people are using it i hope uh it's helping people more importantly as i've said in the past i hope it's helping their puppies and their dogs and mm -hmm. and they're enjoying it yeah yeah and building that connection between you know people and their dogs and that's yeah it's good well thanks again for for listening to this episode uh remember again just like i said earlier you can write into the tips and tales podcast at gmail.com uh, you can also check us out on Instagram, Tips and Tales Podcast, and you can learn more about George and his kennel and his training at thehuntinggriff.com. And thanks again for listening. Have a great day. Hey, wait a second. Don't forget, blessed be the man or the woman who spends their lives with a bird dog by their side. <laughs> Very true, George. Thank you. <laughs>